live from a PDAC strip club. I am Gerardo Del Real along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. This is episode 59 of Bizarro World. Mr. Hodge, how do you like the ambiance here at a PDAC strip club? Pass the Lysol, Gerardo. I got to spray down the pole. (laughs) All jokes aside, coronavirus fears are causing havoc on the markets. No one was spared gold, silver, oil, cryptos, the major U.S. indices. Um, Everything is getting hit with the exception of the treasury market. Um, All jokes aside, let's talk. Uh, You canceled your... PDAC appearance and trip. I thought it was wise. I I privately encouraged you to do so. Um, I believe that my my, my sentiment and my feelings in regards to it are probably echoed um, by a lot of society and and the world right now. So let's talk first um, where we are as far as the psychology of coronavirus. And then we can talk markets. The Fed came out and said it's willing to act appropriately as the data comes in. We know what that means. They don't care about the economy. They care about the stock market. Um, President Trump and his administration was out putting a half-assed attempt at putting a spin on this thing, which I don't believe Mr. Kudlow did a very good job of. But um, let's talk one-on-one. What caused you to cancel your trip? What were your fears I know that PDAC is an event that is important to the industry, but you know we're getting people now that that, that are advocating for the cancellation of the conference because of the global nature of it. Um, give me your take, Nick. Sure. Um, you know I was scheduled to speak on Sunday as part of the newsletter writers um, session uh, program, along with a bunch of other people that you would know, like um, Gwen and Marin and Brent Cook, uh, Jeff Clark, a couple of other people. And, um, you know, looking forward to that, obviously, I've never been to PDAC. I've sort of made a joke that um, I make it a a point not to go to PDAC now. But um, I was invited this year to speak, um, accepted that invitation. And then, you know, sort of over the past couple of weeks have been monitoring this coronavirus like everyone else, of course, and um, didn't want to take action until the very last minute. So I knew that Um, I had 24 hours before my flight to cancel, which would have been at like 5 a.m. this morning. I was due to fly out um, early tomorrow. Of course, we report on Friday, so that would be Saturday. Anyway, um, you know, I was okay with it when it was um, not spreading quite as quickly and wasn't in the Western world yet and wasn't going um, human to human. And then um, it, it sort of has now gone outside of China very quickly in the past couple of days. Um, many, many countries, uh, 10 or, or 15, have announced their um, first case of coronavirus just in the past 24 or 48 hours. Um, the first uh, human-to-human case in the United States came about 48 hours ago in California. Um, and of course, um, a lot of other conferences have been canceled. There was um, a big tech conference in Spain that was canceled. A- uh, Apple canceled uh, their developer summit. And, you know, just, you know, Google it and you'll see a bunch of international uh, business and conference type events are being canceled. And some people, like you just said, are now calling for PDAC itself to be canceled. And so the reason for me was um, twofold. One, um, I didn't want to go there and get stuck away from my family. You're seeing a lot of uh, quarantines pop up now. They just said that uh, all Navy fleets in the Pacific are to stay at sea for 14 days. Um, I just saw a plane land, I think it was in Kenya, where they immediately quarantined um, everyone on the plane. And so heaven forbid there's some sort of breakout in Toronto or at the conference specifically, and I'm quarantined away from my family. Uh, the other thing I was thinking about is all these people coming in globally. There's uh, obviously an elevated risk for coronavirus to be present at the conference. And I didn't want to pick that up unknowingly and, and bring it back to my um, family and, uh, uh, you know, Spokane. And so um, events like this are obviously a, an opportune uh, <laughs> environment for uh, contracting and spreading a virus. And so I just thought, um, you know, giving a 20 minute talk wasn't necessarily worth the risk. Well articulated. I think that, um, you know, speaking just as a, a as a person that cares about people in general, um, there's some things that I'm encouraged by and there's some things that I am not 
encouraged by. And the one thing I am encouraged by is it seems that finally China, seems cases out of China have slowed down. Um, what worries me is that an outbreak in Africa, right, a big, big, massive continent that doesn't have the kind of infrastructure that, for example, the U.S. has as far as hospitals and, um, you know, everything that goes along with that. Um, an outbreak there could prove to really, really wreak havoc on on a large portion of the vulnerable population there. And so, you know, wh while I appreciate the concerns that I have for myself, I'm, my wife and I just ordered um, a, a, a big second stand-up freezer to make sure that we have fruits and vegetables and Tito's vodka, <laughs> you know, wine and all of the things that are important um, to keep me ticking and moving forward, right? Coffee, just in the event of a quarantine or schools closing or something happening. But, you know, those are very first world problems on, on our end of it, right? We have, you know, we're, we're fortunate enough to be, to be healthy, um, to have the resources to prepare ahead of time. We have local hospitals that are nearby that are well-equipped. But I think of, you know, the most vulnerable among us, including here in the U.S., um, that don't have the disposable income. And, 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 and this is the part that, you know, I worry about what happens if, if, if you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. Dell has its global headquarters here in Round Rock, Texas, which is where I live. It's a suburb of Austin. I'm 15 minutes from downtown. And, you know, they employ thousands of people. And there are a lot of people that are living paycheck to paycheck. We've discussed it on this podcast many times. I forget the number, but I, I believe it's something like 40% of people couldn't deal with an emergency if it was more than $1,000. And I'm, I'm making up that number, but it's something along those lines. And, and so I just, I, I start to think, what if something broke out here in Austin or Round Rock? There was a quarantine. People were told to stay home. Not everybody could work from home. People don't have sick time. Now they're not getting a paycheck. Now the kids aren't in school. Um, what happens to those people that are on a budget and have prescription medication that they have to buy every month? And then I start thinking, well, even if they have the money, what happens if there is a shortage? Because so much of our medication, so much of our supply chain is dependent on China, right? And, and this is where I think, you know, this does have the potential to escalate into something, um, a lot, a lot more grave than what we're seeing now, right now, the big, big impact. Um, you know, with apologies to the families of people that have that that have passed, um, the almost three thousand or just over three thousand people, but it does have um, a, a a potential to really really escalate. Bob Moriarty wrote a piece on February twenty seventh that I thought was a bit alarmist, and I'm I hope I'm correct. And you know, Bob is somebody I respect, and I've followed for for over a decade. But the title was, and I forwarded it to you, it was The Greatest Depression Just Began. This is no drill. And I'm going to read an excerpt from it. He said, and he was referencing a, a piece that he had written on January 27th when this, this first was addressed by him. And he said, this has the potential for being the biggest mass casualty event in world history. At the very least, it will take down the financial system as the world economy grinds to a halt with efforts to contain the virus. Now, again, I don't want to sound alarm alarmist and I don't believe that will be the case. I believe that we will do a better job than having the entire financial system um, taken down and this being the biggest mass casualty event in world history. Um, but I do appreciate, um, you know, the, the fear and, and, and that we should all be vigilant. Um, and I'll just leave that there. Any any thoughts on any of that? I know I'm rambling a little bit, but this has a lot of angles and a lot to look at, and and you have to approach it, you know, from 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 different perspectives. And I think it's important to get some of those out. Uh, the supply chain fear is real, both in um, drugs and uh, otherwise that could lead to very systemic and long lived problems um, with the global economy, just because so many uh, parts and pieces and things. Uh, come out of China. Uh, I think that the the response is going to be very important. So I'm going to sound corny for a second, but I started um, rereading The Fourth Turning this week. And, you know, I couldn't find my copy. And I, I, I thought about who has it. And it's you, Gerardo. Um, so I bought a new copy of The Fourth Turning. <laughs> and then <laughs> I started reading it again. And, um, you know, um, the the timing has has lined up beautifully. They were calling for um, the unraveling to end around 2005 or 2010, which would kick off a crisis, um, which would ensue until about 
2020 or 2025. So, um, but what was interesting to me, and I've only read, I've only started rereading the first couple of pages, is that it talks a lot about the responses to the crisis, right? And so I'm, I'm thinking about the response that I've seen thus far from the Trump administration. Um, and it's been, as you said, I think you mentioned Larry Kulo. He comes out and he says, you know, buy the dip. Um, and he looks like he had coronavirus. <laughs> he might. Um, and, and I guess what I'm saying before I start to ramble too is that these are these are very significant um, challenges, and they're going to expose other things, right? Like you're already mm. seeing um, companies warned for the entire year. Um, Goldman has already cut its U.S. GDP forecast for 2020 to around one percent, and so. Um, these are going to expose other problems that have been sort of simmering under the surface, but have been, you know, um, things we talk about all the time, papered over by the Fed um, and and sort of um, glossed over by the the partisan nature of politics and people being uh, allegiant to a party and not really discussing ideas. It's things like coronavirus that are going to, I think, bring those to the fore. Um, and show the population um, really, you know, how qualified or not qualified uh, the their current elected leaders are to handle that. And and I don't know if I'm if I'm being very clear, but um, in the next couple of years, you're really going to and events like this are what's going to play into that. Um, there's going to be a, a crystallization around some really positive ideas. And so, you know, what that book says is that. Imagine how foggy things are right now. Like, you know how things are so foggy right now? Like there's so many mixed messages and uh, there's so many brands and there's so many uh, different ideas on how to fix things. And we can't fix crime unless we fix family, but we can't fix family unless we fix crime. And nobody's got a firm solution. It says that like as convoluted and as tangled as that web sees now, seems now, is how clear the solutions will become um, at the fulcrum of the crisis. And so I think we're very fast approaching the fulcrum of the crisis and um, ideas are going to get better and people will start to congregate around um, truly good ideas. Now, I know that's a bit um, esoteric and, and philosophical and not very tangible, but um, I found those words to, to ring true, at least how I see things. I agree with that. I think... Um... You know, a, a simpler analogy, right, would be you have to, sometimes you got to got to burn the house down to rebuild it. Right. No, you that's tear it. it down to rebuild. And that's really where I think we are. I think that, you know, as as as, as odd as it sounds, um, I remember in the 80s, uh, Ronald Reagan, there was a statement that was made that, you know, he is something along the lines of an external existential threat is the one thing that could unite the country. And this was at a time then, right? It's mild now, but back then this was at a time where there was, you know, deep partisan divide by, by 1980s standards. And I think of this, you know, coronavirus isn't a um, national issue. It's not a domestic issue. This this is obviously a global thing that we're going to have to work together with friends and maybe not so friendly people and governments and societies alike if we're going to be able to contain this in a way that doesn't lead to Mr. Moriarty's um, assessment of what this could be or what this is going to be according to him. And I hope that we have the wherewithal to 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 vet ideas and 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 you know support those ideas regardless of um, where they come from, right? Well, if they're good ideas, right. And so, um, you know, there's sort of like this continuum of um, individualism um, and then like, you know, state being a chaperone, right, on the other end. And um, we're going to revert, like Mr. Dines was writing about this in his last issue. Um, and you can just sort of feel it, right? Like after 2001, we became very state chaperoned, right? And now there's this um, bounce back against it um, towards um, individualism. And that's sort of like the ebb and flow of this whole thing when we talk about the fourth turning, like that collective psyche um, is how we respond to things. And we haven't been responding to things well for the past 20 or 30 years, but that um, overall mood shifts and all. And I guess what I was saying is that um, I, coronavirus is going to be an event that accelerates that shift, I think. 
I agree. Let's talk markets. Um, <laughs> what a week. The Dow fell more than 12%. I mean, the Dow basically traded like a junior, right? Um, yep. Biggest weekly percentage loss since 2008, more than 3,500 points, um, down 14% from a record high set on February the 12th. The S&P 500 lost 11.5%. The NASDAQ lost 10.5%, um, 13% below a record high. Um, gold took it on the chin. I said last week that I expected a correction. Um, I didn't expect one quite this severe. It broke through some very important technical levels in the low 1600s. It closed at 1478. However, perspective in that market is important. And we'll talk about that in just a bit because it's still, you know, almost 28, 30 bucks higher than, um, the 30 day low. So we'll talk about that in a little bit, but Overall, obviously, it was a rush to safety. And again, the cleanest dirty shirt in the laundry basket was the U.S. Treasury market, right? I mean, the 10-year just touched a fresh record low of all time. It was 1.14%, which is just, I mean, <laughs> that's a heck of a move. I'll put a chart up. I'll put a link up. And it's it's just, it's just unprecedented, right? The volatility index hit a high of nearly 50 49.48. That was the highest level since February of 2018. So volatility all around everywhere. Um, let's start with gold. Where does gold go from here, Nick? Do we see a rally next week? <laughs> That's crystal ball stuff. Uh, you it, know, it is. I, we call we called the pullback. Well, in fairness to us, we called the pullback last week and we recorded it, you know, a Friday ago. It published on Monday, and by Monday that pullback was well underway. So we got the timing right on that. We had no way of knowing it would be this significant, but just the numbers and then and the, the gaps told you that you, you should have expected a pullback. Where do you think it goes from here? So the short answer is I honestly don't know. It depends on a couple of things. Um, I, I see two scenarios. Um, one where this uh, broader market pullback induced by coronavirus fears isn't that long lived. Um, the Fed steps in and or the fears dissipate and we get back to a broad market um, trajectory and, and gold goes along with that, continues its rise along with the uh, excuse me, the stock market and the dollar. The other scenario is a bit um, less optimistic for gold investors. And that's the one where we get a repeat of 2008, right? Where mm. gold is thrown out with a bathwater for um, two or three years until it really goes on to new highs and takes the equities with it. And today you certainly uh, saw that. You just talked about gold. I was watching some gold juniors that were down 40% today. Um, and so people are indiscriminately uh, selling. So, you know, if the first scenario plays out, I, I could see us getting back to 1600 plus very quickly. Gold, when Fed, when Jerome Powell opened his mouth today, um, climbed almost back to 1600 before uh, closing, what'd you say, 1579. Um, the other scenario doesn't feel good, right? Especially when you, you know, I was having a conversation with something, somebody this week, and we will talk about stocks that you know, we've been involved with for a long time, especially when you've got like, um, you know, Midas at 50 cents, right? Um, and announcing a, a 30 some million dollar financing and Almaden fell um, a, a really um, precipitous amount today to some 40 some cents Canadian. And so now I'm getting a bit long winded, but um, there's the opportunity out there to selectively pick up quality stocks right now like the two I just mentioned, and even some bigger ones that sold off hard today, like um, the Sabanyes and the Franco Nevadas and the, um, and the Wheatons. Um, gosh, I'm, I'm waffling now. I, I think we get back to 1600 next week. There's the answer. I like it. Uh, I agree with you. I think that, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I'll keep it simple. I think as, I think there's some resistance now at that 1594, 1595 level. If we can break through that next week, then I think you know we're well on our way to, to having a healthy $1,600 gold price. Let's talk about Midas Gold. Let's talk specific stocks. There were a few that interestingly held up well. Some uranium names that have been battered yep. all week long, like Energy Fuels 
it was Character actually was absolutely absolutely so you know I, I i i tweeted earlier that price discovery is always interesting to me um i i, I made a <laughs> i made a reference to base metals and they were all up one or two percent and i thought that was interesting in the midst of the sell-off and then sure enough right after i put the tweet out then they fell another two or three percent they were in the negative but with a lot of the uranium equities um we saw some good price action azarga uranium was up three percent um in the gold space, Ethos Gold held its own on some pretty decent volume up on the U.S. side and flat on the Canadian side. But I thought there were there was some interesting price movement um, in the uranium sector and 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 few select gold names, right? A lot less on that front. But anything on the uranium equities that you'd like to like like to comment on? I know there was a, a bill that was introduced by a couple of senators that um, me, me, is meant to address. Um, the energy dependence in the U.S. There's been a lot of talk, obviously, from the government for months and, and frankly, for years that hasn't quite materialized into concrete recommendations or action steps, most notably and most recently recently from the Nuclear Fuel Working Group. I'm expecting to hear something there. I believe there was an announcement made that we would hear something next week. Do you think that contributed to the rise in uranium equities? Um, I think you've just got total and utter capitulation. I gave, I posted a, the, the talk I gave um, at Cambridge House about uranium just yesterday or two days ago, I posted it. And it was a, a bearish uranium talk, talking about how I didn't expect um, utilities to come back into the market until 2023. Um, <laughs> and then look, the only thing you needed for uranium to go up was for me to self-vision and that just happened. <laughs> so now we're... Now we're ready for the uranium bull market. Um, but seriously, I read the I read Brian London's gold newsletter yesterday, and he sold all of his uranium positions, every single one. And so when you get longtime uranium bull, um, uranium newsletter writer folks like Nick Hodge and Brian London selling the best uranium assets in the world, well, gosh, hopefully it's the bag bottom. I hope you're right. Let's talk Midas Gold. I won't say what I said privately, but... Um... I made a joke to someone that a week ago, if Midas Gold had announced this financing, um, I would not have liked it. And, you know, now I think Stephen Quinn, the CEO of Midas Gold, is brilliant for locking that in, right? Um, can you speak to that financing a bit and your thoughts? We're both shareholders, long-term followers, supporters. We both cover the stock. We've both been to the project, I believe, several times. We both think that Barrick buys it out. I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but correct me if I'm wrong. If not, Barrick, someone else. Um and we both think that this stock is 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 a stock that I think will be a lot higher once its permit is issued here in the next 12 to 18 months. With that being said, um, Midas announced that it had entered into a funding agreement for gross proceeds of 35 million U.S. John Paulson did what John Paulson does. He stepped up and took a contrarian position, um, offering to backstop any part of the financing that uh, BMO and Sprott did it, um, and Haywood did it, didn't take up. So I thought that was a heck of a vote of confidence. It's obviously um, dilutive, but the permitting delays, no fault of Midas, have caused higher costs, as was stated in the release. And the bottom line is you need to be funded to get you across the finish line, right? Well, that's exactly right. The The delays are the reason that Midas needs money because we're now, I think, cumulatively like six months or a year delayed, right, on the decision after, yeah. um, after all the stuff the U.S. Forest Service has done or not done. Um, uh, let me talk about the chart first. It doesn't feel good to be a Midas shareholder. I mean, it, you know, shares are back to the um, lowest they've been at any point since like mid 2016. It looks uh, on the chart, if they don't hold 48 cents, the thing might um, go even lower. And so um, you got to be a miter, a, a buyer of Midas here, which um, I am. And of course, it gives me confidence to see um, Paulson, you know, backstop that financing. That's obviously more than enough money to get them to what we think will be uh, the end of their permitting decision and a, and a positive permitting decision at that. Um, I have to talk about advantage a little bit in that advantage with him <laughs> in that you don't want, um, gosh, you know, it would be a shame for Midas to get bought out by Barrick at whatever, 
75 cents and you get Barrick shares, I get that you'd be able to participate in um, the, the upside of the Barrick, upside of but Barrick. I, <laughs> but I haven't yeah. been in Midas for five, six years to come away with a, a 25% or 50% win, right? You can get those kind of returns elsewhere without tying up loads of capital in a risky junior minor. And so, um, you know, you, you hope this, the, the, the stock is able to gain traction as this permitting decision um, approaches and comes to bear. And as the price of gold, um, you know, continues to be at around 1600 when we, you know, we know the sensitivity of the project at those prices. And so, you know, timing, timing cuts both ways, but I continue to uh, see the light here and think that, you know, this coronavirus stuff and this, you know, meltdown in gold that we had this week is going to be a distant memory by the time it's, um, you know, comes time for, for Barrick and Midas to start talking, right? Agreed. Um, another factor that I think is going to influence the gold prices, I think now you could you could pretty much pencil in a March rate cut, right? I, I, I think that, you know, and, and I said it last year, I thought that the market would force um, the Fed's hand. I didn't expect it to be this extreme, though I did say um, that, you know, you, you were going, going to see volatility in the gold space, in the precious metal space, where 50 and $100 moves were commonplace. The bad news is you just got one of those to the downside. The good news is I believe this is setting up the next leg up um, as far as volatility. And I think the next leg up is going to be, you know, I think once once we get through March and April and, and what I anticipate to be maybe a 25 basis point rate cut and possibly even a 50 basis point rate cut, depending on what happens with the data from this coronavirus scare, um, you know, I, I, I think the second half of the year, you're going to see much higher gold prices because I don't see central banks around the world um, willing to raise rates or even hold them with this much uncertainty. I mean, you look at Japan's economy, you look at the eurozone, they were in trouble before all of this. China was slowing before all of this. And so I think this opens opens the door to more money printing because we know central banks are going to look out for not the economy, not savers. They're going to look out for the stock market. That's that's who they're there to backstop, regardless of what they say. So I think you can expect rate cuts. I think it's going to be a coordinated global effort. And then I think you can uh, anticipate infrastructure spending that's been, you know, I've been calling for this for years and it just hasn't happened. A part of why it hasn't happened is because of the partisan divide, at least in this country and increasingly around the world. I think, again, this coronavirus has the the, the potential um, to bring governments together and say, we need to do something to ramp things back up. And I think you can expect stimulus on an infrastructure um, package globally, globally. I think you can expect multiple packages globally. So all of those things lead me to believe the Fed's going to print more money. The government around the world, call it one government, the US, Eurozone, Japan, whoever, they're going to print more money. Um, and I think all that bodes well for gold. And I think as low as that 10-year is at 1.12, the 10-year German equivalent is at negative 0.60%. So if you're wondering how much lower it can go, it's got a lot of room <laughs> to go lower. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that there. But yeah, that's, that, that's it, my take on that. It's almost as if, um, you know, if we respond to the crisis positively and implement programs that could really... Um, improve the infrastructure and create um, good paying uh, jobs uh, and get back to things that uh, truly help community and country and not just the richest stock owningest among us that we could maybe evolve from this fourth turning um, in a positive light. That's sort of what I was saying earlier, but that's like that's the example I meant. That's what I was saying. No, no, no. I, and I think you said it well. And I think everybody would be well served to to, to order that book um, or reach out to Nick Hodge. And like he was gener generous enough to give me his copy. Maybe he'll send you a copy or two. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it, it's a great read. I think it's timely. I think we're there. Um, we've been sounding the alarm on that book and its message. I believe since the inception of this podcast, and I think you're spot on, Nick, that we are entering the period where um, these 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 concepts and these ideas are followed up with action and very tangible, um, coordinated results uh, that, that that come out of that those themes and those concepts. Um, 
a good thing, but not without volatility. That is what it is, everybody. Exactly right. Base metals. Um, <laughs> is there an opportunity in the base metal stocks, Nick? Or should we be focusing right now on the battered precious metal stocks? And I'm going to talk about Almaden in just a second because I think that Almaden has been uh, a, a perfect case study in everything that can go wrong at the exact wrong time. And I think that's about to turn around and we'll talk about why that is. And we've talked about it in the past, but I'm going to refresh that for everybody that may be new to, to the podcast or isn't familiar with the Almaden story. But um, opportunity in the base metal stocks, anything there? I think you wait. I gave you my two-part answer earlier. Yep. About, you know, I think you wait to see if there's a more protracted, extended effect on the global economy from this virus, then of course the base metals are not going to do well as the primary inputs for all the things that the world needs when it's consuming and growing, right? So I, I think you wait. The, there is opportunities, of course. I mean, fuck, uh, Rio Tinto sold off like 10 bucks in the past two days. Like you could buy Rio Tinto and lock in that yield if you want. But as far as like speculating on copper and nickel, I, I think you're best served to to wait in the short term and focus on the on the precious metals. My, my opinion, of course. Agreed. Agreed. Let me give you my opinion on precious metals and an opportunity that I think has been an opportunity since, you know, the 75 cent level. And here it is at 49 cents Canadian, right? With a market cap of 54 million and a mill that's worth US, you know, replacement value and mint condition, which it is, um, I think, give or take a few million, $75 million. So Almaden Minerals... <laughs> has been just absolutely hammered. 52-week high of 110, 52-week low hit today um, of 38 cents. It closed up at 49 cents. It actually recovered pretty well. But, you know, three months ago, we were anticipating that we would soon have an announcement sometime in November that it's what I consider to be, you know, a world-class polymetallic silver gold deposit in Mexico that it would be permitted and that it would be um, fending off potential suitors that have been circling the project for years um, in, in, in a bid to get a higher bid, obviously. And what's happened since then is everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. There is a fringe, and I'm not going to name it because they don't deserve the attention, but there is a fringe NGO with a large backer out of New York that makes a habit out of going into not just Mexico, but Colombia and, and, and several other Latin American countries, amongst others, and filing what I consider to believe, and this is my personal opinion, fringe lawsuits in hopes of getting a check. You know, let me call it what it is. It's legal extortion is what I call it. Um, and so if you play ball and cut the check, they won't write up, you know, a litany of false accusations and they won't support and in, in, in some cases fund um, fringe protest false protests from people not related to the project. And the Almaden case is an absolute perfect example of what this group goes around the world doing. So there was an Almaden news release on February the 27th, yesterday as of the time of this recording, um, where it had to clarify to the British Columbia Securities Commission its mineral claims to the Ixtaca project. The reason it had to clarify that is because Almaden, once upon a time in 2009, 2010, when it made its initial discovery, had a large claim block um, that surrounded this brand new discovery that was exciting. The stock went from 50 cents to $5. Um, it's now It now has four and a half million gold equivalent ounces. Again, I said it's polymetallic. It's 50% silver, 50% gold. Um, as the project was developed, as it was drilled out, it was clear that you could build a mine and drill out this, this one deposit without having to retain the entire land package. So Almaden dropped the land that surrounded a lot of the project. It wasn't necessary. They wanted to do right by its shareholders, so they decided they were going to go ahead and save the company and shareholders money by not carrying costs on ground that it didn't feel it needed. So this group comes in, and starts writing a bunch of hit pieces about Almaden and how bad its community relations is and 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 how 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 the project doesn't have, you know, any chance of getting permitted and I go and I visit the project and I speak to people on the ground and I see overwhelming support in the immediate community that Almaden operates in. That's followed by a protest far away from the project. Um that was instigated by this group 
they took some pictures, they put them on Twitter, they did a report on it, and they start emailing Almaden shareholders, fund managers, anybody who will listen. And they say, look at all these protests. Nobody wants this project. And the reason they did that is because they didn't get their check. Let me be clear about that. They didn't get paid because Almaden does what all good junior resource companies that get their arm twisted to go away, to, to, to make these groups go away, should do. Tell them to fuck off is what they did. That's my words, not theirs. And that's my speculation, not Almaden's speculation. Not, 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 not what they did. That's what I speculate they did. So this group says, okay, you have these, the, the, this big land package. Um, you dropped X amount of hectares. Well, that's not convenient for us because we're going to file a lawsuit challenging the constitutionality of all the mineral claims in Mexico, which is what the lawsuit um, is, is, is doing. It's challenging the Mexican constitution on mining, right? And this is being defended not just by Almaden. It's being defended by the president, by the Senate. I could go on and on and on. And so Almaden says, we don't even own the land that you're contesting. We, don't, we no longer have rights to the land. And so they file a lawsuit and they basically said, you have to take that land back um, because to make our lawsuit work or it doesn't work. So bottom line is this, that case is in the higher courts as of, as of right now. Almaden is defending the fact that they're current under taxes on the concessions that hold the Ixtaca project. They're, they're contending rightfully so that the original concessions um, aren't, aren't, aren't relevant anymore because they dropped those a long time ago. But the problem for this group out of New York is if the concessions that Almaden dropped a long time ago are no longer relevant and they haven't been for years, then the lawsuit is not relevant. And so that's where we're at with this. They're saying you have to take back the land that you gave up because if not, our lawsuit doesn't work. And I am going on the record here and I'm telling everybody that'll listen that I believe in, I, I don't know if it happens in two weeks or two months, but I believe that that lawsuit is going to get laughed out of court. I don't believe that this group is going to rewrite um, the Mexican constitution and how it approaches mining in Mexico. Um, and I think Almaden is a heck of an opportunity. It has been since the 70 cent level. It was at the 50 cent level. And, you know, here we are, U.S. 39 cents or 37 cents, wherever it's at, 49 cents Canadian. Um, if you don't have a position and you can afford to speculate with some capital, I would encourage everybody to do so. If you do have a position, do what I have been doing and what I'm doing more of next week. I'm adding to my position. So um, that's a lot of ranting, but it, it, I think this type of activity from these types of groups merits it and i don't know how clear i was about what's going on there but it's it, it, it it's an attempt to extort a company that's doing everything right in a community that wants the opportunity for upward mobility and this is why it pisses me off so much wants the jobs wants the mind to be built um and you have these outside groups that have nothing to do with the community no consequence as to what happens looking for a check and stifling the upward mobility of, of, of the immediate community that could benefit from, from the jobs that building this mine could provide. I think it was crystal clear, especially if you've been uh, following the Almaden saga and um, you have more insights than I do, although I'm an Almaden shareholder as well. And I continue to, to view it as uh, frivolous and have the same opinion that it will be reviewed um, or resolved positively. Um, you know, with Almaden getting their permit. So glad to take the time to talk about it a bit. And this is Almaden's formal um, quote in the news release. Almaden's two appeals to this change in mineral tenure are based on Mexican legal advice that it cannot be forced to own mineral rights. It has formally dropped. I want to be clear. This NGO wants Almaden to assume ownership on mineral rights. It already dropped. In order for its lawsuit to work, it's fuckery at its finest. <laughs> so we'll see how it turns out. That's 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 my rant on that. Hopefully, it's two weeks and not two months. I hope so. It's 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 been a painful three months for for myself, for subscribers, um, for shareholders, for everybody involved. But you know, if it's a slingshot move and it coincides with gold holding at the sixteen hundred level, I think it'll be a heck of a speculation at these levels, and frankly, at the seventy cent level. Agree. All right. What else you got, Mr. Hodge? Do you have anything insightful or happy or I, I, I don't want to prolong this. We already 
you know, spent a good deal talking about Almaden and, and Midas and obviously the 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 impact of this coronavirus to the markets and, and to people in general. Uh, we talked about the bond market. I don't want this to turn into just one of those things where it's 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 drawn out and, and we just say words to say words. Do you have anything nice that'll make me feel happy? Um, well, the Frazier <laughs> rankings came out this week. And hey. if you want to feel happier about Midas and Revival, um, Idaho was uh, firmly in the top 10 when it came to um, investment, uh, quote unquote, uh, investment attractiveness. And there was no... Um, well, Canada was not the top mining jurisdiction for the first time ever, um, but Idaho was moving up, as you and I well know it would and should. So um, that was a positive story for me. Let's hope revival shares and Midas shares rebound. We've 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 been. I think both you and I have talked about um, you know the jurisdiction and and how favorable it was. And frankly, I think we were ahead of that. I think we we talked about it years and years ago. Again, visiting the project visiting um, Stib Knight and visiting uh, Bear Track and Arnett in person and talking to the locals and, 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 you know, betting what the support looked like there. And so I'm glad to see the rest of the industry finally acknowledging um, the bipartisan support that Idaho offers mining companies that do things responsibly. And, you know, I think anybody in Idaho will tell you that Midas led that charge and kudos to Stephen Quinn and his team for doing so in such a responsible manner. I think it's really opened the door um, to the next great mining boom out of Idaho. Uh, number one spot, Finland. And um, we're no stranger to Finland either. So I felt like I sort of had my finger on the pause when I saw those rankings come out. Good job. Good job. Good work. Um, did you see the New York Times article about the farm that harvests metal from plants? I didn't. I want to know about it. So there is, well, there are several, I guess. Hyper-accumulating plants is how the New York Times phrased it that thrive in metallic soil. This could be a great promo for your marketing brain, Nick. I'll send you the I link. I like it. I'll put the link up. That kills other vegetation, right? So this metallic soil kills other vegetation. Um, but they're now it's now being tested for the potential of what they call Phyto mining. I have no experience with this. I am not an expert in this. I have no clue what it is. I had the article forwarded to me by my brother-in-law earlier in the week, and I found it fascinating. So according to this article, some of the Earth's plants fall in love with metal. The roots act like magnets. And these organisms, there's about 700 that are known, thrive in metal-rich soils that make hundreds of thousands of other plants species either die or, 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 or just dry out. Right. So if you open one of these trees, if you slice it open, you can see a sap that oozes like a neon blue green juice. And it's like one quarter nickel, which is far more concentrating than the ore that feeds the world's nickel smelters. So that is absolutely fascinating to me. Um, it hoards these metals at ridiculous levels. And so I know what's going to happen with this kind of like when people started talking about mining asteroids and, you know, there's yep. enough gold and I guarantee you somebody's going to write a promo on this. I'm going to forward this to you, Nick, and we'll put a link up for everybody to read it. Cause they can, the article does justice to it a lot better than I could, but it goes into the details. It has some amazing pictures um, of, of, of what this looks like. And it's, Pretty fascinating stuff. So I thought that was neat. I thought that was a, a, a an interesting story to kind of get away from all the madness that um, has been the markets this week. And I'm happy to share it. We'll put that out there. I just take issue with their naming because a, a very big missed opportunity. You know, phyto mining is cool, but leaf leaching sounds a whole lot better. <laughs> I knew you'd have something. I'll send you the link. We'll share the link with everybody. Um, I will say that the article mentions that the greatest potential is in Indonesia and the Philippines, two of the world's biggest nickel ore producers. Um, and so, you know, they we can plant that- them. We, we can plant them alongside the solar roads. <laughs> can't make this stuff up. Um, the other thing I can't make up is I see that the former mayor of Baltimore, your old stomping grounds, got three years in prison. Um did you see that? I'm sure you did. What, was that which one? Which 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 uh, sentence? Catherine View. Miss Catherine View. Yeah. 
Not Sheila Dixon. Got it. Um, yeah, no, 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 no. Uh, she, she, she's next, I think. <laughs> no, of course I saw it. And it's just funny because, um, well, Baltimore is the city that reads. That's the tagline. And she got caught peddling children's books. So there's a, there's a good chuckle in there, right? Um, <laughs> uh, sad for the Edgar Allan Poe would not be proud. Yeah, no, no. Quote the Raven. Um, um, you, you know, Baltimore struggling, man. It's sad to see. I obviously have a lot of friends there, family yeah. there, lived there for 30 some years of my life. And um, this is just indicative of um, uh, the, the the problems the city is faces, facing and how they can't um, get out of their own way to solve them, whether that's um, you know, hiring police chiefs that can't get it done and continue to oversee um, the mismanagement and in some cases the outright criminal behavior of their police officers all the way up to the to the mayor who, um, you know, as I just said, you know, this she's not the first mayor that had to resign in disgrace. You know, two mayors ago, Sheila Dixon was taking fur coats and gift cards from developers in, in, in exchange for, um, you know, um, favorable decisions as far as, you know, land access and development. And so um, it, it's it's sad to see in a city that has, you know, the highest crime per capita, violent crime, at least of any um, uh, city in the in the in the country. And, you know, hopefully along with um, it's certainly seen, you know, some of the, the worst problems that this country has seen. Right. They're they're concentrated in in towns like um, Baltimore and other formal uh industrial centers that were um, hit hard when the, the tech wave came and, and, and didn't keep up. I hope that made sense. But anyway, um, yes, I saw it. And it's sad that, that the city of Baltimore and the people of Baltimore um, can't elect good leaders. And, you know, the, yeah. the field. Sorry. I, you know, it's, it's uh, anyway, um, the people that are running for mayor now, it's something like well over half of them have like a criminal record. And not that that's prohibitive from them being a good person or from them being uh, you know, running for office, but again, indicative of sort of the situation that Baltimore is facing. Agreed. And I bring this up and, I, and I'm going to provide some context for those not familiar with this case and explain exactly what happened. But I bring this up because I think it's indicative of what we're doing with almost everything in this country right now, which is really just, you know, selling out whether it's kids at the border or people with mental health issues or our veterans that come back with PTSD or people that are addicted to legal or illegal substances, you name it, what we're doing is capitalizing on people's pain and 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 monetizing it and 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 doing so in a way that does everything but help the people that the quote unquote treatment or cure or funding is supposed to help. In this case, <laughs> while she was a Maryland state senator, she wrote a book called Healthy Holly. Exercising is fun, right? And so what she did is she sold the books to corporate buyers who wanted to obtain or maintain a government contract. Let me repeat that. She was a state senator. She said, hey, let me write a book teaching kids that exercising is fun. Noble enough, right? Everybody can use that. Exercising is fun. It's also good for you. Hence the name healthy Holly. The whole purpose of doing this was to drum up fake sales. Oftentimes they never delivered the books. And many times they sold the same quote unquote order of books multiple times. Mm -hmm. And they used the proceeds to her mayoral campaign and to buy a new house is what she did. Two other aides that are awaiting sentencing also participated. But again, this is business in America. She just got caught. She just got caught. And I can't, for, for people that are listening outside of the country, um, it's a sad state of, appear, of, of affairs. The corporate fraud that goes on um, at a very, very high level of every institution in our country. And that includes police departments, mayor's offices, state offices. I could go on and on. But I thought this was a good, uh, a, a, a good metaphor for what goes on with so much in our country, right? Make a buck off people's pain. Make a buck off of something that makes people feel good. Make a buck off of something that really actually could have been a good thing um, and use it for your own benefit because at the end of the day, all that matters is making a buck. Yep. For the individual, right? Not the, not the, not the collective society, right? Fourth turning stuff.
You got it. You got it. What are you watching next week other than everything, Nick? Oh, my goodness. Next week is going to be very interesting. So, you know, I, I assume there's going to be some more news releases um, from mining companies that thought they were going to capitalize on the higher gold price and the sentiment <laughs> at PDAC. So, um, you know, there'll be some new news releases to digest. We we didn't talk about crypto at all, and, and maybe that's... Um, uh, why Bitcoin prices has fallen. Nobody's talking about um, Bitcoin, um, which hasn't really acted as a, a safe haven. You could probably make the same argument that maybe it comes ripping back um, like gold, but certainly hasn't acted like um, I would have expected it to. Um, I, I'm watching key levels in the S&P. We're in correction, Tory, uh, correction territory right now, but we're very close to bear market territory. And so I'm interested to see if we um, hit those levels. It's like 2,700 on the S&P, I believe. Agreed. I'm interesting to see. I'm interested to see what happens with silver. I think that's an interesting story. I've said, you know, I, I think some today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Down 6% today. Um, and I know you had a story to share about, uh, the local coin shop and, and, and silver. And I'll let you share that here in just a second. Cause I thought it was, I thought it was timely, but you know, I've said before that I, I, I thought, you know, since gold broke through that, 1464 level. I thought I thought gold was ready to go and and, and it was time. Um, and it doesn't mean we're not going to have pullbacks. We are, but I think it's in a in a bull market that's sustainable. I haven't been convinced um, of silver, and and I'm still not convinced. And not just because it was down over six percent today, but I feel that it's trading as an industrial metal. And if you believe that, you know the the copper space with its you know great mid to long term fundamentals. Is, is is due to, to to have a good second half, but is probably going to suffer for the remaining of at least the first half. I got I got I got a bundle silver in that in that in that, in that package there because it's trading like an industrial metal. It, it doesn't go up when the precious metals go up for the most part. Um, it, it doesn't outperform to the upside the way that it has traditionally, but it definitely outperforms to the downside in days like today. And so. Um, I'm interested to see where that continues. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it back in the 14 or $15 level here soon. I was talking to you just last week about the uh, gold to silver ratio and how yep. it was near a point. It's only been at, I think like three other times in history. Yep. Um, I had written, I had written about it a couple of weeks ago in uh, the February issue of underground profits. I recommended buying mag silver. That worked out really, really well until a couple of days ago. Um, and so, yeah, I'm interested <laughs> in silver. I feel like um, it's it's nearly uh, silver's time today. That gold to silver ratio um, went to the, the highest level it's been uh, since 1991. Mm -hmm. um, that's the amount of silver, of course, it takes to buy one ounce of gold. I called my local coin dealer. I said, hey, you got any silver eagles down there? He said, no. Um, some guy came in and bought them all yesterday. So anecdotal, of course, but people are making the same calls that I'm making, right? And acting on it. And so um, he's just around the corner. So I walked down there and I said, you got any rounds or bars? And he said, I got a couple left, but they've been going. So I bought the rest of the coins. I bought the rest of the rounds and bars he had today. So and people, people want to buy silver, I think. A hundred to one. That's the ratio at which I might be convinced they're going to start moving together. And we're close. It's not far away. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. It's not. Silver clothes at sixteen sixty three. Gold's at fifteen eighty five. So we're 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 there. Either you believe that gold's gonna pop back up, or you believe that uh, you know. So I mean, either silver comes down or gold goes back up, right? If if that's gonna happen, and so we'll see. I'm 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 curious. I'm 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 interested to see what the price action is next week. As 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 is with everything. Um, getting a statement from the Fed now saying that they are prepared to act in the best interest of the economy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like I said, all what they want to do, breaking news, everybody, the Fed's going to backstop the stock market with liquidity. The exact same thing that probably got us in this That's jam so, that we're in right now, right? Somebody today said it's a taxine instead of a vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> we're also getting breaking news that the Trump administration is considering, to your point, um, tax cuts. Basically, yeah. let's throw the kitchen sink at it. It's an election year. I need to get reelected. I've put my ass out on the line by by telling everybody how wealthy I made them, and I've I've I've, I've, I've attached my ball and chain to the stock market, and so it's gonna have to live with that one. Let me ask you a question before I let you go. Do you think that um, 
the Democrats allow Bernie to get the nomination? And then do you think they're, 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 that, that the Trumpster may be in some trouble if this continues? I think two questions, Demo- obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think the Democrats are willing to blow up their party to prevent uh, Bernie Sanders from getting the nomination. They are positioning themselves yep. for it. They asked the question in the Nevada debate. We talked about this. Um, yep. uh, should the person with the most delegates uh, get the nomination or should we have a contested convention? Every single person on the stage said contested said contested convention, except for um Bernie, and you can just see it in the in the positioning of Democrat higher ups. They're going to try to steal this thing from him. Um, does the second part was does that affect um, Trump? I no, I you know, barring something crazy, crazy, crazy with this virus in the market. Not that the past couple of days haven't been crazy, crazy, but I'm looking at betting markets, right? Not polls, and he's he's still at fifty eight percent. His his odds were up today. Trump, I'm talking about winning the presidency. Um, and so I, I think you still get a, a Trump in there. I'm not sure who would beat him because, um, you know, Bernie's the front runner. Right. And so you steal the nomination from him. I don't think you get Democrats coalesce around um, a candidate, let alone the entire country. Right. Agreed. Agreed. I think we get a, a second Trump term and then then it's going to be <laughs> an interesting four more years if he makes it that far. Right. I, 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 I don't recall. Well, that's- yeah, that brings us ahead. to 2020. That brings us to 2024. And as I started this uh, yep, podcast yep. at 2025 with the fourth turning. And so you're yep. going to get, I'm telling you, I've been saying it. there's going to be something new, yep. somebody new, some new party, something that you can't fathom right now will happen by 2024. I agree. And I hate to be morbid and I hate to end the podcast on this note. And I have my disagreements policy wise, just like I have some things that I agree with president Trump on, but I have a lot of disagreements, um, social policy wise with, with his administration. Um, and I don't wish this on him, but I remember I, I, I interviewed, I had the pleasure of interviewing Mr. James Dines a couple of years ago and, and I asked him and I knew the answer. It was a rhetorical question, right? But I, I asked him when was the last time that a president took on, you know, all facets of the intelligence in, in, in the country, right? The CIA, the FBI, um, and, and did so in, in, in such a loud manner. And, you know, of course that answer was, um, president Kennedy. Right. And so while I don't wish that on, 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 on Mr. Trump, I, I would not be surprised because of the nature and, 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 and violence that sometimes happens with these fourth turnings. Um, if something like that were to materialize from, you know, who knows from where, but it's not something that hasn't happened in this country. Obviously it's something that's happened actually fairly recently and kind of lines up with, you know, the, the last time that we had a, a significant turning, right? The volatility of the sixties. And that was, that was, that was a lot. That was a lot. So something to keep, 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 keep an eye on. Um, again, don't wish that on anybody, but these things don't happen peacefully. And so expect more volatility, folks. Get ready for it. You're not far off the mark, Gerardo. Uh, according to the book, the first turning, we're in the fourth turning now. The first turning, which yep. is a high, ended with the assassination of President Kennedy in 1963. Correct. So again, not wishing that on Mr. Trump at all, um, but just things to look out for, guys. I, I, I do believe that these turnings um, produce that type of behavior and these types of catalysts. And, and, and so just something to keep an eye on everybody. Anyhow, Mr. Hodge, anything else on your mind? Well, I'm going to go on about the fourth turning. Sorry, Gerardo, just for 30 seconds. No, it's a, it's that, important. It's important. I'm, I'm glad you're doing so. It's important. That assassination was the end of a 20 year cycle, right? So you get four, uh, excuse me, uh, it, Four uh, 20 to 25 year cycles. And that so think about when Kennedy was assassinated. That was like um, the end, as I just said, of our high. But like we were triumphant after um, beating Hitler and after coming out of the uh, depression in the 30s and 40s. And that high carried us um, for 20 some years until 1963. And that high ended with the assassination of JFK. And the thing that was ushered in next was completely disjointed from that time of prosperity and 
and civic unity that came before it. You had the counterculture of the 60s came immediately and after that completely juxtaposed to what you saw with the um, Leave it to Beaver 50s, right? And so that's the sort of cataclysmic change we're talking about. Anyway. Okay. And, and no, no, no. Let, let, let's expound a little further. And, and, and to further your point, there were also a lot of important changes that came with that. Right. A lot Absolutely. of a lot of things that turning a lot of things that that, that were positive um, that came as a result of that of, the, of that turning. You know, we had the Civil Rights Act. We had integration on of that schools. Front. Absolutely. Absolutely. And none of those things came without violence and volatility, everybody. So, you know, we're, we're, we're I, I mentioned earlier that I thought Mr. Moriarty's article was a bit alarmist. Um, better to sound the alarm and it not be a fire um, than to think that there could be a fire and not sound the alarm. Agree. That's all we got, everybody. You've been warned. <laughs> Gerardo Dalrell along with Mr. Nick Hodge. This has been episode 59 of Bizarro World. Be safe out there, everyone. Stock up on your Tito's and your wine and your fruits and your veggies and your meats. If you eat meat and uh, be kind to each other, I think we're going into a period, I think Mr. Hodge is right, where that's, uh, it's, it's going to be critical. It's going to be increasingly important. Be neighborly and um, interesting times ahead. Mr. Hodge, send us away. Adios. En español. Muy bien hecho, señor Hodge. <laughs> that's all, folks. Have a good one.